International. episode of The Listening Room. I'm Joey Zimmerman, comedian and host. Um, thanks for peeking in. We have a lot of really good stories uh, from some comedians and storytellers tonight. Uh, on this episode, we have Missy Fry, Derek Fields, Jamie Hunt, Aaron Brooks, and Michelle Susan Mirsky. Uh, you can catch all these people on Facebook and Twitter. If you uh, like what you hear, feel free to peep out more of their work. Um, thank you guys so much for turning out more of these episodes episodes and for coming out and supporting the live show definitely some more fun exciting things on the way so thanks for staying in and staying updated uh, again this is joey zimmerman you can follow me at j-o-e-y-z-i-m-m-e on twitter and the listening room xx on twitter too for updates on new stuff new shows new podcasts um, thanks for listening everybody you're all beauty bye bye See, the story takes place uh, my junior year of high school at a house party. I'm from a small town of like 2,000 people in Nebraska. So a lot of our, our house parties, I guess, weren't really in a house, maybe in a creek. And it's like a, just a private celebration. Um, and sometimes uh, <laughs> my friends who own some farms, who wouldn't, their parents would just be out of town, so we'd just get drunk in the barn, have a good old barn party. Um, sometimes some of these parents never even cared at all, and we would just party in these big farmhouses in the middle of the country, nowhere, where, you know, not really going to get caught. So as a kid, the perfect party spot. Nothing's, nothing's better. My, my friend Brent, um, he made, like, this shack and just this land he owned. His family was really rich, so he, he got a bunch of wood and a generator, and we were just drinking, having cigars, like, 15 years old in this little shack near this creek. 
Um, this one time, a friend of mine found uh, what we called uh, the caboose, which was, you guessed it, just a caboose, just the end of a train, uh, parked next to a lake. It was just vacant. And we would go up there and party on the caboose. Uh, this one time, like the blocks that held it in there, like, ran out and it just started, and it, it sank. It sank in the lake. It went in there, and we just watched it, like Lord of the Flies style, like the sacrificial to the party gods of what we're about to become. Um, this, this story takes place at this uh, fun this fun house, my friend's Ryan's house, and this party uh, was the first time I ever smoked weed. First time I ever smoked weed at this party. Uh, I was around like my junior year of high school. Yes. Stereotypical Nebraska party house, parents out of town, house in the middle of nowhere, they have a pool, a lot of land. Um, the little town I was in is kind of like halfway a little bit in between Omaha, Nebraska and Lincoln, Nebraska. And the schools were a little bit connected. So you got uh, like five different groups of schools of kids showing up at this party. There's like maybe hundreds of people there. Everyone's having a good time swimming. Um, I like uh, I roll up there with my friend Brian and Clay, and it's it's fun. And then after a while, like let's go, let's go, let's go smoke. And I was like, I'm gonna do it. First time smoking weed. Here we go. Uh, and I go and I'm in. I go back to Brian's car. And he pulls out an apple. First thing I ever smoked out of was a piece of fruit. Has um, anyone here smoked that apple first time? Anything a unique thing you smoked out of the first time? Anyone that wish in? That's all right. Sometimes people smoke it. I smoked out of a pickle before. There's you can, you can find anything if you're desperate enough. Um, so I get high off this this apple weed, <laughs> and I immediately just feel awesome. Like I stroll back into the party, and I feel like I'm on cloud. And I, like, I feel like everyone's turning at me like, hey, and I like, walk in and someone hands me a beer and I'm like, what's up? And someone's like, were you just like, and I was like, oh yeah, man, like I'm familiar, that's my first time. Acting all cool, I'm like in the kitchen, like grab some peaches and I'm like juggling on the air. I was killing it, I was killing it. Um, and I stored the peaches for later, they're in my coat, so I just walk around this party, drinking high, eating peaches, having a good time. Uh, my friends tell me, they're like, hey man, come here, and they, uh, I go with my friend Sarah, and they push me and my friend Sarah into this room together, and they shut the door, and I'm like, why would they do that? And she's like, I don't know, and I'm like, what's she, she's like, my friend, this was like, I've never had a girlfriend or anything before this time, and she gets on me and starts kissing me, I was like, whoa, Sarah, no way, this is nuts, so I'm like having a good time, uh, just being high and drunk in this room, making out with this girl. Um, a little later, like I hear a knock on the door. It's my friend Clay, and he's yelling. He's like, hey, man, you got to come out. You got to come out and see this. I'm like, no, man, I'm good. I got this new religion I'm finding in this room right now. I got to hold off. Um, like, maybe like 10 or 15 minutes go by. I'm not sure how much longer. But uh, out of the room, I can tell there's like some type of commotion going on. And I hear like a couple loud like bangs and some noises. And then my friend Clay comes back and like knocks on the door. He's like, I'm not like letting him in. He kicks down the door and he's like, dude, we gotta go. <laughs> what happened was when he came and knocked on the door, he was like, dude, you gotta see this. Um, like uh, there are a lot of male teens at this party from different rival schools. What happens when male rival school people get together? They fight. They fight. Um, it's like a familiar fight club that was happening outside. Um, just people fisting each other in the face. Um, I guess uh, a friend of mine who went to my school, uh, he was fighting a guy 
and he was winning pretty good. He knocked him on the ground, and he was beating him while he was over him. And some guy came up behind him and just kicked him in the back of the head. And he started like bleeding everywhere, and he ran, he ran off for a second. But then he came back with a gun, and he fired it in the air a couple times, asking for whoever that was who kicked him in the head to like show himself. And then that's when my friend Clay ran. He's like, Joey, we, we got to get out of here. I was like, what's this guy? I'm like, no, man, I don't think you understand. He's like, no, I don't think you understand. This is the first time any of us has seen a gun. And it's by someone our own age. This is nuts. You got to get out. So we leave. And I go, we go outside. And it's mayhem. People are running everywhere. Um, my friend who drove us to there, he's in the fight. He's like getting scrappy. And he's next to my friend who shot the gun in there. They look at me. They're like, Zimmerman, come on. We got to get him. I'm like, I'm not getting in this. I'm not, no, we're going to be involved in this. And since the dude was our ride, me and Clay, he, didn't, he lived like a couple miles off, in the, like a, down a country road, like a couple miles. So we just booked it and we walked. We just ran away from this messy party. Um, he was frantic. I was like, I was, my face was still red. I was like, Clay, I, I, I told him like 15 times of the walk. I was like, that was the best night of my life. That was the best night of my life. Still walking, I was still eating these peaches, and it'd be like real silent on a walk, just like you're a gravel, and then like you'd hear me occasionally every now and then just being like, <laughs> and he's like, God damn it, Joey, give me those peaches. And he takes them out, and he threw them, and he ran away. Um, but that was the first time I ever smoked weed, and maybe one of the best nights of my life. Thank you guys for hearing that.
And I used it to tie all the different pieces together. And I made this shell of a person. And I was that person for a really long time, right? I know, you're all like, fuck, this got heavy. <laughs> um, it's okay. Uh, it is. But, um, and sometimes it would chip or it would break because they were just eggshells. And what I realized is I need to fill it with something. And what I filled it with were memories of the best things that I could remember. And what I want to share with you tonight is actually one of those memories. Because that's how I get through January, is reaching in and pulling out those memories and reminding myself of those instead of the shitty things that explode. And one of my favorites, actually, is my last day in the house I lived in in college. I was about to move in with my parents for like a month, which they were thrilled about because my brother was also living home. <laughs> and we were both moving out of state. And I was moving here to Texas. And I remember standing in this huge room because we lived in an old uh, 1920s mansion on the edge of the college ghetto right before it became the graduate student ghetto. <laughs> Which meant it was a really interesting street. And we had this great wraparound porch. Trees were beautiful and old because being, you know, where it was, nobody had touched them in probably 30 years. The paint on this house, I can only imagine how green it must have been when they painted it because after fading in the sun for decades, it was still pretty freaking bright green. And I remember standing in this old room with the beautiful original floors, original windows, which in the summer is great, but in the winter in the Northeast, you wish they had upgraded them. And everything's gone. All my stuff is gone. The only thing left is my computer that's playing jazz music. Specifically, I remember it was playing Etta James because I was obsessed with her at the time. I still love blues and jazz, but you know, I would go through a metal phase like I think everyone did. Um, but standing there with Etta James coming out, and the room is clear. It's a blank slate. It looks exact. I've taken the time to put all the furniture back because honestly, I thought if I hadn't put the furniture back, I wouldn't get my deposit back, but I put it all back where it was when I moved in. <laughs> and I just stood there thinking, it's like I've never been here, or it's like I'm just starting over. And I remember all the light streaming in these old windows because if you've ever been in a house with windows that are 100 or so years old, you know the light just never comes in. It always looks wonky and weird. And I'd been moving all this old furniture because it came furnished. So this mattress was old, right? Dust came out everywhere and the light catching it. And I thought, I'm standing in a dust snow globe. <laughs> and I love snow globes. This is beautiful and amazing. And I forgot about the fact that nobody in the house was actually talking to me anymore. Because, you know, you live with people in your late teens, early 20s for more than like a minute and people stop talking to each other, especially when there's nine of you in the house. It's okay, it was three stories. We had an extra bedroom and there were three full baths. Talking about a big fuck up house. <laughs> Not like the little ones you got here where you're like, that's a big house. I'm like, nah. <laughs> but um, I didn't think about 
all the stuff that had happened. I didn't think about the first time, first cancer scare I got, or the seven my dad had had. I didn't think about any of that. I just thought about the beauty of the moment. And it's that moment with the light coming in that I focus on is one of the memories that fills me up. And I hope that you can understand the beauty and the peace and serenity of that moment and find them in your life when you're dealing also with that junk and crap, even if it wasn't the type of thing that exploded you. It's just the type of thing that makes you not sleep. And use the same strategies that helps you. Because there's always more thread if you break again, and there's always memories if you look hard enough to fill yourself with. Missy Fry, everyone keep it going for her. Keep it going. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having a good time. Yeah, that's what's up. You guys ready for your next storyteller? Yeah. Yeah, keep that going. Let's go. Come on, get that up. I was debating um, what kind of story I was going to tell, and I had a good story about my son, and um, then I seen the kid walk in, and I was like, damn it, I can't do that one, because it's the type of story that you have to go to therapy for. <laughs> So next was diaper changing, and that's that's timing. 
and prep. That's what I learned, prep. Um, any parents? Any, any parents? Okay, all right. So, okay, rest of y'all good. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> just, heat that gentleman knows, but just take this as prep. And what I mean by prep is you always have to have a bag Supplies. with you. Supplies, yes. <laughs> Extra change of clothes, baby wipes, um, baby powder, and um, uh, a bag to put the soil diaper in. It's prep. Because if you're not, if you don't have prep and you're out and something is sinking and you can't do nothing about it, like that's, whew, that's bad. It's embarrassing, especially if you at somebody's house and you just like, you smell that? Like, yeah, well, me, I'm, I'm good. I'm like, and it's the baby, you know? <laughs> you gotta handle that. You just can't have a baby sinking and sitting, and sitting in poop. It's just not, it's cause rashes. It's not cool. Uh, it's not sanitary at all. It's not good for the baby. Um, so I got a diaper. I got I was diapering. I learned how to do that, and I heard the stories of you get peed on and pooped and vomit. The whole, just the whole trifecta, the bomb could explode at any time. <laughs> and I was good. I got good at it. And here's a little a quick tutorial about changing diapers. All right, great. We got the prep. Uh, a soap-proof mat have that because you never know when you might need to change them. You be on the go and bathroom might not be right. Change them in the car. You got a soap-proof mat. You ain't got to worry about stuff getting everywhere. If you don't got a soap-proof mat, a blanket to do in a pinch, but you change a baby anywhere. Okay. So you got your prep. Remember the prep. We got the prep. Boom. All right. So what you do is. <laughs> Like, I know, I know, I know you think I smell it too, man. Don't you be giggling at me. Don't you be giggling at me. You know, and all that, you know, craziness. Right, so, undo the tabs, cross the ankles, lift gently. Baby wipe, wipe till clean. Put the wipes in the disposed diaper. You slide the diaper out, put the baby down, do the two tabs, put it in the bag, get a new diaper, lift the baby up, baby powder, slide on two tabs, good. Everybody's happy. Learned it, got it. I was so good, like I was like, you know, I'm like smoke a little bit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> can't yeah. me with that pee. Yeah, we just good. <laughs> yeah, just, oh, oh, I'm good. You can't, no, I see you. Ah, I ain't trying to get me. Nope. <laughs> Not <laughs> Um, I got cocky one day, and um, out of nowhere, I heard a shoot and poop hit me like right all in here. Okay, yeah, and as I'm recovering from the first shot, so he double tapped me, so it was like. <laughs> <laughs> So now I'm covered. I'm, I'm, I can't be mad, but I, 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 I don't like poop. <laughs> I'm not a fan of poop, and you know, and me and him still. I look at him sometimes. We're a little like discuss, like like you poop. He's eight now, like you pooped in my face, homie. <laughs> He's like I didn't do that. I don't remember that. I'm like. I, I do. I, <laughs> my mouth, like everything, like, like it was just. And then he rolled off the couch, and ah, 
and he still had poop on his butt, and all I could hear my mom was like, "Don't scrub, blot it, blot it." And I was yeah. <laughs> Black means like if you got like in your rug, you don't rub because it gets into the fiber. You blot it and it soaks it up. I was like, oh, I know that now. Having kids, having kids teach you stuff, man. Having kids will teach you. And I was like, uh, but I love them. I got that down. All it is is just, it's just love. You know, I love my boy. You know, even though I talk mess about him, I still love him. He's um, getting to be grown and just. I don't, I leave you with this, I don't like, he's a very, very bad winner. <laughs> he sucks at winning. <laughs> like, I don't really particularly like him when he wins because he makes you just hate yourself. As a grown man, I'm 32 and he's eight, and he's just making me feel like I was back in like junior high, like I'm not cool or something. Like, like you lose, you lose, you suck, you suck. And he's just dancing on me, you suck. Daddy, you suck. You ain't bad at it. You mad at it. I'm the man. I'm the man. You suck. Ooh, I'm gonna tell everybody I know that you ain't nothing. I was like, ooh, wow. he was close. I thought about it. He was like, you ain't shut my boy. What you say? I was like, ooh. Okay. Okay. They said you can't, can't give me. Okay. <laughs> no, you can't. can't. <laughs> Y'all can't judge me. He is not your child. <laughs> I have no children, so you don't know. Be like, well, my dog knows. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay. Um, that's all I had. Um, that's just my story of just being a father. Like, it's just good. It brings me joy. So, um, what does he beat? What did he beat you at? Uno and trouble. <laughs> the good the punishment. Like, otherwise, I would have had to have uh, 18 months probation and breathalyzer in my car. And I've already done that. It sucks. So uh, I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, whatever I need to do to not do that. And he was like, we could go to jail for like six days or we try to get you this program where you like, work in the jail for seven hours a day. But you're going to do that longer than if you just like stayed in jail. A jail is not fun. Okay. So I was like, well, I'm not sleeping there. That's the worst part. You don't sleep there. You just time doesn't exist in jail and it's gross and uh, how many of them no I'm just kidding <laughs> uh, 
Um, and yeah, I've been doing this. I wanted to just knock it out like nine days. I'm on my fourth day today, and like, thank you. <laughs> uh, I just want to knock it out. So I like got off work this week, and just I've been doing seven hours in jail for the last four days, and it's sucks like I just I don't we do just it's there's not seven hours of work to do there's just I don't know why I'm telling you all this this is not what my story's about at all I just feel like I'm just so glad to be on the outside right now <laughs> I just wanted to share this like they have this like cleaning cells like you're in the cell they like lock you in with the thing you go clean it's gross and you just do that you do it as sl- you do everything as slow as possible because you have seven hours so you just wipe the same spot over and over you clean those back that they put the people's clothes in uh, when they get booked, like they change into the jail clothes or whatever, and they put them in a bag, clean those bags. Like, it's so, it's like so boring. Uh, the other day I was talking to the dude that I've been talking to for seven hours every day, and, uh, and I was just like, you know what I want to do right now? Paint a wall. And he was like, oh man, I would love that. <laughs> like, that's how bad it is. We'd literally rather, like, watch paint dry than do what we were doing. Uh, I got in trouble for um, cleaning a doorknob today. Uh, she was, this cop was like, hey, weren't you cleaning the walls earlier? And I was like, yeah. She was like, well, this wall still looks dirty. I don't think that doorknob needs cleaning. And I was like, oh, really? The fucking doorknob to the jail bathroom doesn't need cleaning? I feel like it's not true. Um, <laughs> anyways, so that's not my story. I just wanted to share how glad I am to be here with y'all. Um, feel normal until I have to go back tomorrow. Um, Freedom. Yes. Every time I walk out, yes. I see. We they make us clean the lobby before we go in to start working in the jail. And, like people come out that have been in there for a while. And, like want to make a bridge for them. Like, you know. um, I was cleaning out in the lobby my first day, and uh, fucking Connie was like. Uh, uh, I was cleaning this chair. She was like, oh, don't touch that chair. Why? She said, there's so much shit in that chair. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is going to be great. Um, but I decided I was going to tell you all a story. I was going to tell you all a ghost story because it's like foggy out and it was Friday the 13th yesterday. Um, so I'll tell you all a ghost story. So when I was um, in elementary school, I don't know if I was like eight or nine or however old you are in elementary school, um, and I was like, just to preface this, like, I, it was like when that time, you know the movie Now and Then? You know the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they did the seances, Crazy Pete and <laughs> shit, you know? And so I was like super into doing seances, and my grandma was crazy, and she had always been like in the seance, she told me how to do a seance. <laughs> Uh, she was like really into like spooky shit like she'd make my mom go to scary movies uh, when she didn't want to and she'd always like if my mom had slumber parties she would go out like in the window when they were sleeping like scratch at it like, she was <laughs> yeah and she taught me how to do seances uh, and so how you do a seance is like everyone sits in a circle you can do it with two people I don't think you can do a seance by yourself but I don't think that's a good idea um, but you sit in a circle I think the circle is part like you can has to be a circle to like conjure the uh, ghost. And you sit in a circle, put some candles in the middle, or some sort of, they usually use candles because it's spooky and because um, you say like, if you're here, like make the light go up or whatever. So you got candles and the thing is like, everyone has to believe that you're going to conjure a, a, a ghost, you know, and you say, spirits, I'm here, I want to talk to you or whatever. Are you here? 
and then the light goes up or something out and dog barks outside and fuck they're here <laughs> and uh and then um and she but she always told me she was like you're not you're not conjuring like good things when you like do this like the only like uh, like she said you're always like it's like a tricky ass demon like a little fucking tricky demon because they, they're the only ones that like care enough to come and like fuck with your stupid seance you know like the ones that are trapped here they have real problems to kill it and so she said, she told me she was like you're, it's demons that you're doing and like do it but like just know you're talking to demons and they're probably lying to you um, but I'm chose to ignore that part of it um and then like another really important thing just so y'all know is like to uh you have to close the seance that she was really adamant like you have to close the seance you have to send the tricky ass demon back to where you came from i don't know what happens if you don't do that but just very important if you ever do a seance close the seance you have to be like hey bitch get back and so I was all into seances and shit and uh, for whatever reason my mom um, I went, I had to go stay with my shitty cousin for a weekend. She's my second cousin and I hate this bitch. Like I hate her. She's a horrible person. Okay like I so she had oh this is kind of fucked. Now it's going to make Okay she had she had a birthmark like on half of her face and so she was made fun of a lot I'm sure and like that sucks. I get it. That sucks and but her parents just gave her whatever they felt really bad for her so they gave her like whatever she wanted all the time no matter what never heard no in her life just that like if she was like the um the bratty one on um on Willy Wonka's in the chocolate Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory like mixed with Satan okay (laughs) so like to give you an idea of how this okay she's so horrible uh I had every Care Bear and every Care Bear cousin stuffed animal, okay? Like the original, like they're vintage now. And I had all of them except for, and there was a bunch of them, Everyone, I had all of them except for the care of her husband, the lion, okay? And I wanted lion. We would, me and my mom would go to garage sales. We would find them. It was a special thing. I loved these Care Bears. And she had, Ashley, Ashley's her name. And she had a Care Bear cousin. I went there to visit her one time. She had the lion. She had the lion with all her other stuffed animals. She had all the stuffed animals. She didn't care about the lion. It was in the back. She would not give it to me. I was like, big, like she, and she wouldn't give it to me only because she knew I wanted it. You know what I mean? Like, ugh. So that is how bad she is, guys. <laughs> Horrible. And I was so mad that I had to go out to the country. She lived like, do you know where Victoria is? Like, kind of out, but like the small town outside of Victoria, which is Victoria is small enough that nobody knows it, anyways. And uh, so I had to go out for the week for to the country to hang out with my stupid second cousin for the weekend. I don't know why. I was going out there, I was like, this is going to suck. Little did I know I was going to be in jail later in life. <laughs> but, uh, but I would go out there, and so we were out there. There was nothing to fucking do. There was no Chuck E. Cheese, no Skate World, no Pandemonia, none of that. And I was like, how am I going to do with this shit for so long? 
the whole weekend. But she had courses, which were cool, but that took like two hours, you know, so we didn't have anything else to do. And so I was there, and it sucked. She still wouldn't keep me in line. And, uh, and she, she was like, we're going to play a game? I'm like, fucking I guess, you know? Even though she was the kind of person who would, like, if she got close to losing, like, flip it over and, would, like, say I was cheating or something, you know? She knew she was going to lose. She's horrible. And, um... And so we go to her game closet. It was the linen closet, but not games. And uh, go to the linen closet, and she goes, and she has a Ouija board. <laughs> Unopened. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> this weekend's going to be cool. <laughs> uh, so I talk her into, like, fucking with the Ouija board, you know, doing a seance. We're on the country, and I'm like, this is perfect. This is way better than my mom's driveway. And uh, so I talk her into doing this, and I'm pretty sure she, uh, like, knew all the crazy stories that my grandma had told her. I don't know, maybe. I assume she did. I probably told her. Uh, so she was into it, too. And uh, her agreeing to the seance was like the only cool thing she's ever done in her life. <laughs> and, uh, and so she she agrees to seance, and it's still in the middle of the day, but we're, I'm, I'm like, we're doing the seance now before she changes her mind, because I just couldn't believe she was doing anything I liked. And uh, and so we, we, we do the seance. We get, I tell her I do it's in a circle with a Ouija board which I had wanted a Ouija board for a long time I was like no bitch you're already too creepy when you do these like in the front yards she wouldn't get me a Ouija board and you know my grandma scared her she was like never mess with the Ouija board like I will never buy a Ouija board and that of course like when you're a little kid and now like that anything you can't do like you want to do more so I was really stoked about the Ouija board we're in the middle of the seance um, we have the candles uh, we have the Ouija board out and you know, conjure up a fucking demon or spirit or whatever. And I'm you know, like, hey, come on, come on out, uh, you know, whatever. Like, come out. Uh, we want to talk to you. We we're, we we just want to know your story. Um, and we're, then, not, I don't know if something happened or not. But either way, we're like, are you here? We have our hands on the Ouija board. And of course, he goes, yes. So it was like, yes. We're like, oh shit, here. <laughs> and um, and then we're like, what is your name? And I swear to you, my cousin's not smart enough. Like, we're not on the same wavelength, you know? Like, we're not, like, best friends, like, trying to make it happen. Like, I was skeptical of her. And we, like, together spelled out a name. And I'm pretty sure it was Elizabeth, but I don't know if that was just because it's 20 years ago and I'm, like, making up the most ghosty name that I can think of. <laughs> but, like, I'm pretty sure for the same story it was Elizabeth or something like that. And she spells it out, right? And we're like, oh, my fucking God. And I was not moving it. I swear to you, I was not moving that thing. I wasn't. I was not moving it. She's not smart enough to move it. Like, <laughs> so, she, I just, it happened, okay? So, at this point, I was like, this is so cool. It's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And then I was like, how old are you? And I think she said 16, teenager. Um, and, I, you know, flipping out. We asked her some more questions, but I'm pretty sure we were, like, just making them up at the point. <laughs> so, like, the, the, for sure, the first two questions were real. And it was, we were tripping out. Uh, and so, but it was the middle of the day, and then it was kind of over, and it just, you know, and so the next rest of the day, we're, like, sitting on hay bells talking about the ghosts. And um, then her dad comes home, and we tell him, like, 
hey, we conjured up this ghost, and she told us that her name was this, blah, 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 fuck with the Ouija board. He got pissed that we fucked that Ouija board. It's like, was in your closet? Like, <laughs> not had it in there, but, so he gets legitimately mad. Like, he was probably drunk, I don't know, but he, uh, he got legitimately mad and made us get into, uh, he was like, don't be doing that, girls, I don't know why y'all, y'all just been doing that all day, I can't believe that, he was pissed. Makes us get into his truck, and they're on the country, they have tons, they have acres and acres and acres and acres, and drives out, uh, way out, go to, I swear to God, a fucking graveyard. A graveyard. <laughs> fucking graveyard, y'all. Okay? And it was like, an old, like, it wasn't even like an official graveyard. There was like makeshift, like, gra- like, it was like someone chiseled the grave, I swear to you. And there was like, it was like a 15, the 15 graves, like, not even real stones, but it was. It was a graveyard. He was like, this is why you don't fuck with Ouija boards. Like, you're by a graveyard. He told me that it was like the old servants' corner, like, quarters, like, where, so, like, that was, so this was, like, their little mini graveyard that there was probably a church there at some point or something. And, um, and then, so we're looking around, looking at all the graves and stuff. Swear to you, fucking Elizabeth, or whatever her name was. <laughs> and we, saw, we see the, the name of the ghost that we did on the thing. And, like, my, there's no way, I thought about this, I was like, did she plan this? No. Like, they didn't come up with the plan to, like, scare me and, like, say, that would have been a really awesome plan to, like, pick the grave and, like, tell me we do the thing. I, I you know, pick the Ouija board. Like, there's no way, I've thought about this a lot, <laughs> that they uh, could have, Plan this right, and then we look at the date of her. How old? How when she died? She was fucking sixteen, or whatever old that she said she was. Like that was <laughs> like that. It was, so we were flipping out, um, and I mean that's. For me, I mean, I don't believe in God, but I definitely believe in ghosts now because, like, that is it's proof. I mean, that's proof, right? <laughs> you don't believe in ghosts now, right? <laughs> it is. Y'all know it. Y'all are going to be scared to sleep tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, we, that night we go to bed and we definitely fucking saw her, okay? But that's the part where I think we didn't see her. It was probably one of those tricky ass demons in the corner. But we did. We turned off the light, and I swear, I did. I, I remember the figure of this bitch, like, in the corner. <laughs> like, and we got so scared, we slept the light on. But, I mean, that, looking back, I do think that we probably imagined that. Like, I wanted to see her really bad. Um, and... Anyways, um, I guess I'll end with this, y'all. Uh, we didn't close the seance, okay? So she's probably fucking in this room right now. <laughs> right here. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Jamie Hunt, everybody. Paranormal investigator. Keep it going. All right, we only have two storytellers left. How are you guys feeling? You feeling good? great show down at the Spider House Ballroom. It's called Bounce House. It happens the second and fourth Monday of every month. Feel free to go check it out. Everyone give it up for Aaron Brooks. Round of applause for everybody who's come up and told the story so far. I don't know what I want to tell a story about. 
Is there anything you guys want to hear a story about? How excited you are about 2017. Oh, man. Uh, well, I'm unemployed. <laughs> I got fired at the end of 2016. Unemployed. Yeah, it's not fun. Uh, I've been unemployed since Monday, and I am all out of cum. Oh, just... <laughs> <laughs> Six days. Gone. How much did you get from the start line? Uh, how, what, what's that? No, just kidding. No, it's okay. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to play that game, we can, we can do that. Uh, you're not going to win, because clearly I'm an authority over you on two things: comedy and cum. So I think I've got a handle on on that one. Um, yeah, 2016 was a terrible year for me. Uh, it was really bad. How depressing do we want to get? What's the what's the tone of the room? Do we want to get sad? Do we want to be silly? Silly. 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 Okay. Well, there goes all that. Um, He's <laughs> gonna talk about some, some sad shit. Uh, I'm, th I'm 32, and I'm from St. Louis originally, and uh, I, I don't go home anymore unless my friends get married. Like, that's really the only time I go back to that shithole. It's a horrible place. <laughs> Don't go. Um, the last wedding I went home for was one of my childhood friends. His name was Chris Hanner. Uh, Chris, not not a smart... He's, he's dumb. He's real dumb. <laughs> Chris took the ACT three times. He scored two 12s. <laughs> and a 13. Uh, yeah, you get like six points just for filling your name out. He's... <laughs> Chris is an idiot. He's the dumbest guy I've ever met. Uh, and I've been to West Virginia, so that says a lot. Chris, Chris is getting married, and he's uh, one of my best friends, though. And there's there's like seven of us from high school that are still pretty close. And we, we were all there for each other. We all did the first together, you know? We all got drunk together for the first time. We all saw everybody go through, like, the first meaningful relationship. And, uh... My, my friends are assholes. <laughs> my childhood friends, my, my comedy friends are assholes too, but like they're, at least they're adults about it. My childhood friends are, are assholes who are still caught in high school. And uh, so I, I don't know if you're, if, if you're plus, we are from Austin. Okay, so a handful of folks. Uh, there's a weird thing that happens when you go back home. Like, it's not yours anymore. You know, when you go back home, it's not the same place. Don't worry about that. This is all planned. He's <laughs> trash. My story's going to be garbage. In <laughs> but when you go back home, it, it doesn't belong to you anymore. You know, buildings go up, they come down. There's a new subdivision down the street from you. The, the corner store is now a Dollar General. You know, it just, like, things change, and you have to just kind of jump head first into it, uh, kind of unexpected. So uh, when we were kids, I, I grew up in it's Dupo, Illinois. D-U-P-O. It's exactly how it sounds. <laughs> it's next to a fucking train track, right? There's a stoplight. We have a subway. Uh, the, the sandwich shop, not any sort of public transit. <laughs> the most public transit you get in Google is in Illinois is when you get a home a ride home from a cop after getting a DUI. That's as close as you get to public transit. And uh, it's just this really shitty place. But it was a place where everybody knew everyone and you could get away with anything. 
I was 20 years old, and uh, there was a party happening at this guy, Ryan Barbeau's house. Uh, Ryan Barbeau died the, the summer that this happened. Uh, it was a heroin overdose, and this is like 2005. So, I mean, this is, you know, pretty early on, you know, this whole, I, mean, I hate to call it a it's an epidemic, you know, it's just, it's all over the country, and it hit my hometown. Uh, Ryan Barbeau was a kid, he was very popular. He was like the first kid to get a peacoat, right? Which means a lot. He had a peacoat, and then uh, everybody's like, fuck, look at this peacoat. Oh, man, I'll be jacking off forever unless I get a peacoat. So everybody went to Old Navy, right? Everybody went to Old Navy in Burlington Coat Factory. Uh, because the internet wasn't like a real thing when this happened. You could, I mean, you could, but it was really more for a lot of jerking off in this set. You know, it was really, the internet was really what that was for initially, I think, and still to this day. Um, so, Ryan Barbeau, we established Pico, he had sideburns, he had a car that was his, it wasn't his parents. He was like a cool kid, and uh, he ordered it, he bought a keg. He was like 18. You could do that Dubo in Illinois. You could just go into a place where you knew a guy and walk out with a keg if you were strong enough. And we're sitting there drinking at Ryan's house, like 20 of us, and uh, his mom comes home. She's really pissed. Not having it. Not so cool when your mom shows up. Your party, your peacoat wearing son of a bitch. Like, nothing's, nothing's gonna save you from the wrath of Brenda. <laughs> So she's cursing her mom, get these fucking kids out of here, get this keg out of here. Well, I was 20 years old, I was like the oldest person at this party. Um, what are we going to do with the keg? Well, we're not going to leave it, that's dumb. Let's illegally transport it across town in a Jeep. So, uh, my friend Dustin could drink more than anybody here, and I say that with supreme confidence. I saw him chug four bush lights and a Diet Coke and just keep on going. You know, he just, he's just that guy, your friends. He's a guy who'll throw up in a bucket, you put your hands on the side of the bucket, it's still cold. Like he just—he could drink more than anybody. Dustin had a Jeep, and so we put this keg, we lifted it in the back of the Jeep, and we're driving through Dubo, blaring "Bad Out of Hell" um, the whole album. So like one track is like 20 minutes long. So we're just driving through this town, and Dustin's got the hose from the keg in his mouth, drinking. He's 16. It's not big deal. These are, these are my friends, and I'm very off track, so I'll tell you this story. This is like the real part of the story. Um, there, there was a thing in Missouri called the Golden Road for a while, and it was a series of counties you could drive through with an open container in the car, and as long as the driver isn't drinking, everybody's fine. Right? That's Missouri. That's Missouri for you. The Golden Road, they called it. And the Golden Road went from St. Louis, it went a little north, and then it went southwest to a place called Sykeston, Missouri, which is the meth capital of the United States of America. Missouri, meth, that's, that's it. That's where it goes to live and die. And... Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna drive the Golden Road. The Golden Road ended in this place called Sykeston, and Sykeston had a restaurant called Lambert's, also known as Lambert's, home of the throat rolls. Um, I don't know if you've been to a restaurant that does this. It's 
very white trash. It's uh, incredibly white trash. This place called Lambert. So we get in the car and everybody's drinking. I'm, I didn't drink, so I'm driving. And uh, we're driving in like a 1999 Pontiac Grand Am down the Golden Road. Six guys in this car. Dustin, I look over, is smoking a peach cigarillo and he's dipping at the same time in addition to driving. A lot of substances going in his body, right? So he's that person. So we're, we stop at this gas station, get some beer, and I'm in there buying beer. Everybody runs in screaming, like, what the fuck happened? I go out, and there's a pink spot about this big on the side of the Grand Am on the ground, and it's from where Dustin threw up a Frisco melt from a steak and shake that he had about two hours before. So he's in prime, he's in prime position. So we keep driving. The Golden Road is to us. We get to Sykeston, Missouri, meth capital of the United States. We pull into Lambert's. It's fucking dinner time. Lambert's is set up like this. You go in, you, you choose an entree. It's like 12 bucks. It's all you can eat. They have a lady pushing a cart, like in a cafeteria with a bunch of sides and shit. But the real gem is if there's a man across the restaurant with a basket of rolls, you just throw your hand up and one appears there by the grace of God. Throw bread across the fucking restaurant and they just expect you to catch it and then eat it? Like, that's that's the goal at Lambert's. So everybody's just shit-faced drunk. Everybody's just gorging themselves on, like, southern, like, it's just, it's chicken fried steak, right? It's it's ham and beans, it's fried okra, and these fucking rolls are just flying. It's D-Day, right? It's just, it's, you're just, you know, you're just trying not to get hit. Like, I just want to have this fried chicken and get the hell out of Sykeston before I just breathe in a bunch of meth. And so I'm the only sober one. It's like, okay, it's my job to fuck with people. So I put my hand up. There's a there's a short man across the restaurant who throws a roll, and I duck. It hits my friend Andrew right in the face. With a mouthful of peas, he spits them out everywhere and just screams a motherfucker at me in the middle of a crowded family restaurant. At 7 p.m. in Missouri, <laughs> and uh, we just we just go back and forth, and we're just assholes, and we make friends with a waiter. His name's Wayne. We call him Wainer. Why? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, did I throw the rolls? We called him Rolls Royce. I thought that was genius. <laughs> and we were like, Hey, what's what's going on in Sykeston? A sentence I will never again utter in my life. <laughs> Outside of a comedic context, and this guy's like, he's tweaking, he's like, yeah, yeah, we hang out, and we get your number, we get, we get this crackhead, this meth head waiter's number, like, we're gonna fucking hang out with Wayner, alright? Wayner Rolls Royce, we're gonna be drinking on a porch, I bet, you know? We're probably gonna be passing around a shared needle, I don't know what's gonna happen. So, uh, we, we, we go on and on, and Wayne, Wayne comes over to us, and we're like, hey, we're leaving, we get the hell out of there, right? We're leaving this restaurant go and uh, we get a hotel room for one. There's six of us going up the fire escape. <laughs> There's a, a, a Hispanic lady who's cleaning rooms who just starts yelling caliente. It was, just like, it was, very, it was a very surreal experience stealing a room from a Ramada Inn. Uh, and everybody passed out. Everybody just gets real drunk and they pass out. Um, we never, we never talked to Wayne again. But the next morning, I sneak down into the lobby, and I take all of their donuts. <laughs> I take all their pastries. I take them all, and we call ourselves the Bagel Bandits. We call ourselves the Bagel Bandits, and we drove the reverse Golden Road, uh, swimming upstream, is what we called it. <laughs> Because instead of booze, it was just a bunch of like emergencies and Gatorades, and 
we get back to St. Louis and uh, we get a text message from Wayner who was like, hey, where are y'all at? And said, Wayne, 14 hours have passed, man. He's like, oh, I was on some shit. I was like, okay. Uh, we see a couple weeks later, a friend of us, one of our friends is a news guy, news junkie, and he just reads dumb shit, and he found an article where, uh, he found in the police blotter, where this this waiter got arrested, like, two days after we were there, for having, like, a pound of crystal meth in the glove box of his car. It's like, you know what? Some trips you just have to take, I think, so. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm here And, and the pending end of it, which I kind of love democracy, so, um, but anyway, still, by any measure, not the worst year, I've had worse. Um, some, some good and bad things happened towards the end that I'm going to tell you about. Um, in September, I went to therapy, like you do, um, and I went on my lunch hour from my job where I'd worked for almost nine years, and I spent basically 45 minutes of the hour talking to my therapist about how much I hated my job. And every time he was like, well, maybe you could. I was like, no, I can't. I've tried it. I've done it all. I hate it. Like, just completely, like, pouting angry at this job. And at the end of the hour, I thought, you know what? At least I'm resigned. Like, no one's going to tell me this is going to be okay. At least I know where I'm at with the job. And I get in the car to go back to work, and my cell phone rings. I look at the caller ID, and it's my boss. And I'm like, okay, she's never called me before. Um, and I, I answer it through the car on speakerphone, and she's like, hey, are you in the building? I'm like, uh, no. She's like, when you get back, can you meet us in the conference room in 15 minutes? And I'm like, oh my god! laid off, you guys! I can't laid off! And seriously, I was that joyful. I called my boyfriend in the audience, I called my mom. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I just spent 45 minutes talking about how much I hate my job and now I'm getting laid off. And generally when you get laid off after nine years, they take decent care of you, which they did at my job. They gave me actually two options. One was to take my job at um, half time and half salary, or the other was to take a severance package. And I was like, um, yeah, fuck this, I'm gone. So I took the severance. And um, in order to keep the severance, I had to work for two more weeks, and then I got to keep my health insurance and get paid basically through the end of the year. So I did that. Um, but I basically spent the entire two weeks making doctor's appointments, because when you find out you're going to lose your health insurance at the end of the year, you want to use all the health insurance you can possibly possibly use. So I worked for two weeks, which took me to the beginning of October, and the first appointment I went to was my first mammogram, because I'm, I'm that age, 
and um, and it was fine. It was weird. Mammograms, weirdest thing ever. I mean, I don't I don't know who could have possibly invented this concept, but high five for weirdness. Um, and <laughs> the second appointment was to get all of my moles checked because you guys, forty one is so fucking glamorous. So <laughs> let me tell you. So um, the doctor at the mole check was like, yeah, nothing suspicious. High five, go home. So that was great. Um, and the mammogram was uneventful, or so I thought, until maybe five days later, a week later, I get a phone call um, from the nurse saying, we got the pictures we wanted, and we saw something we tried to get more pictures of, and we, we can't quite get a picture of it, so it's just the pictures. We just need to get another picture. It's no big deal. Just come in for another picture. It's like, this is such a pain in the ass, but it's fine. The, the first mammogram is free because they want you to get it. The second one you have to pay for. I'm like, all right, it's fine. I've got the health insurance. I'll pay for it. So I went in. Made the appointment, no big deal. Um, just scheduled it in between like job interviews and all the bullshit that I had to do now, having no job. Um, and I go in, they, it's just the right breast they're taking pictures of. And she's like, this one's gonna be a little more painful than the first one because it's diagnostic, so we really have to smash it really hard between two plates of glass, because that's what a mammogram is for some reason. Um, and they're frowning and whatever, and they try to get more pictures, and they're frowning, and I'm like, this is, something weird is happening. And they, they send me back to the waiting room, and then they come in and they tell me, you need to meet with the radiologist in the consult room. And remember when I said that 2016 wasn't my worst year? My worst year was the year that I found out that my younger son had cancer. And I found out because someone took me to a consult room. So at this point, I'm losing my shit. And I just thought I was going to have some more pictures. I'm by myself. I don't have any like loved ones to hold my hand in this consult room. So I go into the room, and not only is the radiologist there, but it's the woman who did my first mammogram, and the woman who did my second mammogram, and a woman named Kathy, who's the cancer navigator. So I'm like hyperventilating and shaking and they tell me there's really only a 10% chance that you have breast cancer, but there is a 10% chance that you have breast cancer and you're going to need to have a procedure and you could have a needle biopsy or you could have a surgical biopsy, but you need to have a biopsy because we need to know. And the only way to see it is through this biopsy situation. So I say, okay, when do, when do I do this? How do I do this? Help me, help me. And the cancer navigator is actually very kind and she says, I've, I've got you. Just call me. We'll set it up. So we set it up, and it's going to be um, just a day thing. I don't. There's not even like recovery time, and I have no job, so it doesn't even matter. I mean, I can recovery is the same as just a regular day. So, um, <laughs> yeah. um, so I go for the needle biopsy, and this is where it gets kind of weird because if. I wasn't certain that the procedure mammogram was invented by a dude. The procedure for a needle biopsy was definitely invented by a dude because it's like going to Jiffy Lube. <laughs> I am dead serious, y'all. You lay down on a table and you put your boob in a hole and then you push a button and the table goes up in the air like when they're changing your oil. Like, I'm not... <laughs> She's like, 
So, it's your boyfriend still moving in. How do you feel about that? How's your dad? Can't move interviews. Like, she knows my whole life story. And she's, like, face-to-face with me here. But underneath the table, there's a doctor, like, stabbing me with a needle. And, um, and it, you know, I, I've got Novocaine. But, like, anyone who's ever had a dental procedure, Novocaine hurts motherfucker when it's going in. So, that's really painful. Um, and then they, they stab me, and they take the piece, and the doctor goes and looks at it in the machine, and she says, I didn't get it. I need to go in again. So they put in more Novocaine, and they go in again, and they get another piece of me, and they take it out, and they're sure they've got it. She looks at it in the machine, she says, I've got it. So they, you know, like, put a million things on me, and then they actually have to take me back to the mammogram room and look again, because they put a tiny piece of metal inside you to make sure that they know the spot where they took the piece out of you, in case that goes badly, and they need to know exactly where they were, which is super weird, but I guess I'm glad. So I finally am told you can get dressed. We'll call you in, I guess it was like a Thursday. So they're like, we're probably not going to know tomorrow. We probably won't know till next week. So I have to go through this whole weekend, like super nervous. And finally they call and they say, <coughs> sorry, you guys, Cedar. They call and they say, biopsy all clear good to go, all clear. And, and I'm so relieved, and I tell the small number of people who knew that I was going through this weirdness, oh my God, biopsy all clear. I tell my parents, I tell my boyfriend, I tell my friends. And about a month and a half before this, my boyfriend's mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. So she's like in this parallel process of like, you know, having surgeries and biopsies and, and getting, you know, like bad news and good news and all clears and she and I are communicating and so I'm really glad I tell her the good news the good news happens. And then a few days later, I get another phone call, and they say, actually, we didn't have what we needed in the sample. The sample was only clear because there wasn't anything in it. And at this point, I'm livid because I've already been to Jiffy Lube, and I thought that I was done, but I wasn't done. So... They say the only thing that we can do now is surgery. We have to go in surgically, and we, we're going to do a lumpectomy, and we're going to act as if you definitely have cancer. We're going to take the whole section out and sew you back up, and then we'll look at the section. If you don't have cancer, at least it's gone. And if you do, at least it's gone. So at this point... I don't know who to tell because I've already told everyone I'm okay and I don't want to tell everyone just kidding. So I only tell a handful of people this time, like a really small handful, like the, my very closest intimates. And, um, and you know, like people have to cancel plans. My boyfriend has to cancel an out-of-town work trip to stay back and be in town for my surgery. And, and I have to move around... Um, job situations. I've actually managed somehow through going to the doctor all the time to get a job, to interview several times for the job and get it. And then I have to tell them immediately, by the way, I'm going to be out for surgery. It's just a thing. I'm not going to tell you much about it, um, but it's going to be days of surgery and recovery. So that's happening. And um, it was all happening right around Thanksgiving, and they were going to try to squeeze me in before Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, and um, I said, no, that's not going to work for me. But eventually, when they tried to tell me I needed to go to the office several times for several different tests, I was like, y'all were going to put me in the day before Thanksgiving. There's no way you really need me to come in for all these tests, because you were going to squeeze me in one day later. 
So I go eventually in for the surgery, and the weirdest thing about the surgery was that they didn't give me a normal like hospital gown, like a cloth thing with the strings in the neck. They gave me this paper thing that has um, like heating hoses that plug into it, and it inflates like Missy Elliott in, in the rapid <laughs> intense, y'all, and it, it was like this purple-gray color, which is actually the color of my hair, so it looked like, I. speaking of Willy Wonka, I looked like <laughs> a, a blueberry girl in Willy Wonka. Um, there's a picture. If we had an audiovisual portion of the program, I would show you. <laughs> anyway, so I was there all day, and... Um, they gave me a nausea patch because I tend to have reactions to anesthesia to, to anything really. So they gave me a nausea patch and they said, you wear this for 72 hours and then you take it off because you can have a reaction to the anesthesia days out. So you take it off after 72 hours. So the, I went home and I actually weirdly had less pain from the actual surgery than I did from the needle biopsy. The surgery was not very painful. I had everything all like kind of trust together too so it was like there was like a lot of padding um, and 72 hours later actually went back to work um, 72 hours later on my way home from work I, I took the nausea patch off on a Thursday night on my way home from work on Friday I started to have what I thought was a panic attack and I took my medication for the panic attack and it didn't get better and I started to get really nauseous and I started to feel this like paralyzing overwhelming dread like I was gonna die like it was the most horrible feeling and I, I looked like on my phone on, on Google like what in the hell is happening to me and it turns out that it's the textbook reaction of withdrawal from a nausea patch and it happens exactly almost to the minute 24 hours after you take the patch off and the only remedy is Dramamine you have to take basically Dramamine every 12 hours until you don't feel this reaction anymore which for me was three days of every 12 hours Dramamine and I was like was it worth it I could have just had a little surgical nausea and instead I thought I was for three days. Um, but anyway, uh, that following Monday, I went in to the doctor uh, for the follow-up from the surgery, and she told me the test results are all clear. You do not have cancer, which was a really, really great way to close out this kind of trash fire of a year for the world, <laughs> even if not my worst year. Um, the other thing that was kind of interesting was that I basically spent my entire severance time and most of my extra paychecks from the severance, and certainly whatever I had left on health insurance, just dealing with this one fucking health crisis at the end of 2016, which in the end turned out to be okay, and I'm really, really grateful that it turned out to be okay, and that I have this funny Jiffy Loop story now to tell audiences. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess the, the message is, if you have health insurance, use it. Seriously, use it, because you might get to have a Jiffy Lube ride. Thanks, everybody. Search listening room, check it out. Produced by uh, the body tape, intl.com. Um, check it out, hear your voices. It's a fun time. Uh, keep it going for everyone you saw perform tonight.
International. 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 International.